Let's pray. Father, this morning in these next few minutes, uh, give us sight to see, give us ears to hear. Pray that we might hear your word, uh, accept it, and bear much fruit. Amen. Now, the new year, happy new year, by the way, provides a great time for a psychological fresh start, a reset, time to make a break with our bad habits. Uh, For 4,000 years, as the calendar rolls over, humans have been committing themselves to resolutions to clean up their lives. Uh, Some research shows 14 million Australians have made resolutions for 2024. Uh, And the younger you are, the more likely you are to have committed to change. Uh, The top three resolutions this year, like every year, uh, you guessed it, are about healthy eating, improving fitness and losing weight. Uh, I wonder if this has anything to do with the Christmas binge. Uh, We might feel a little bit dirty after December. We've eaten too much. We haven't done that much exercise and we've all put on a few Christmas kilos. And so by the time the new year rolls around, it's the perfect time for Australians to commit to cleaning up some of the mess. But suppose these millions of Australians are successful. Uh, They eat healthy, they exercise, they lose a bit of weight. Uh, Is that going to make us clean? Uh, As hard as losing a few kilograms can be, how much harder is it to deal with the dirt that lurks within? Our sinister thoughts, our selfish motivations that stain the noblest of actions, the desire to hurt the people we love most, uh, the lack of desire to care for those who need it. Isaiah and the people of his day faced a very similar problem to every human who has ever lived. They were morally dirty. But by the time we're finishing Isaiah 6 this morning, we'll see Isaiah has been made clean and he's been given a message that has the power to clean up God's people. And if we hear his word this morning, and if we accept it, then we too can be made clean. And so there are two big movements in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the first half, verses 1 to 8, where Isaiah sees the king, uh, and the second movement, Isaiah hears the king. Uh, So firstly, Isaiah 1 to 8, Isaiah hears the king. Look down with me in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uh, This was a big year for Judah, God's people in the south. Uh, It was the end of King Uzziah's 52-year reign. And Judah prospered under his excellent leadership. Uh, He was to Judah what Lee Kuan Yew was to Singapore, an excellent administrator, replies to emails on time, delegates responsibilities in every meeting, He was three steps ahead. Uh, He saw military success against neighbouring regions. There was peace and prosperity for Judah. Uh, The rich got richer. Houses were renovated, extensions out the back. A second story here, a pergola over there. Uh, Men weren't busy fighting, and so the bars and clubs were packed every evening. Uh, There was a real buzz around town. But then King Uzziah dies. And it's in this year that Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. Isaiah's Lord was too big and too glorious to be contained by the temple, uh, Solomon's temple, at least three times the size of this building, and only the fringe of God's robes could fit. Uh, if that wasn't intimidating enough, in verse 2 we meet the seraphim, literally burning ones, uh, with six wings, uh, two to cover their face, two to cover their feet, and two to fly. In verse 3, saying together, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Uh, Microsoft words suggest that I delete the repeated words, uh, but I think that's the point. God is holy. He's not like us. He is the incomparable God. He and not us is the one who's high and lifted up. So holy that these burning angelic beings, whatever they are, they must cover their feet, cover their face, because it's too much. The temple is shaking at its foundation and smoke billows across the room. This is what happens when God shows up, just like anyone in the Bible who gets a tiny glimpse of God. Isaiah is exposed. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Confronted with the blazing holiness of God, Isaiah is ruined. Last year I was reading the Bible one-to-one with a bloke and he was a bit shaken that day by something he'd saw on social media. It was uh, English actor and comedian and writer Stephen Fry's now famous answer to what he would say if he met God. How dare you? How dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say, said Stephen Fry. Now, if Isaiah's experience is anything to go by, Stephen won't be saying that. He'd be ruined. Because if he and any of us came before the holy, holy, holy God, we would fall flat on our faces, and if we could say anything at all, it would be, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Isaiah's problem, Stephen Fry's problem, our problem, is not that that we're mere mortals encountering the divine. Uh, The problem in the presence of a holy God is our sin. We're unclean. We're more than morally compromised. We're morally bankrupt. It's our sin that cripples us before the terrifying reality of God's glorious holiness. Isaiah seen the king, high and lifted up, seated on his throne, glorious in holiness, and he's ruined. And it's game over for Isaiah. Uh, well, at least it should be. Uh, but something happens, verse 6. The smoke is pushed aside as the wings of the seraphim rise and fall, propelling him towards Isaiah. Uh, the fiery being heads to the altar with a pair of tongs. Uh, was it too hot for him? The seraphim goes to the place where things die so that others can live. That's an altar. The seraphim takes the burning coal and places it on Isaiah's mouth. And then something remarkable happens. The seraphim announces, verse 7, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. If you've grown up in Australia, you'll know the pain of sunburnt lips. Try kissing a lump of coal that only starts to glow red at about 450 degrees and can create combustion gases of up to 2,500. The coal was hot. Isaiah's problem was that he was a man of unclean lips and for atonement to be made, his lips had to die. They had to be sacrificed at the altar, the place where things go to die so that others can live. The dross staining Isaiah's unclean, sin-spoiled, morally dirty lips have been smelted away. 
And it's only through this death, a symbolic death, of course, that his sin problem was dealt with. Isaiah's sin problem has been solved. He's clean. But what about the rest of the people? What about Judah's lips? Verse 5, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Already in the first few chapters of Isaiah, God has laid out some pretty serious charges against his people. Chapter 3, verse 8, Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and their deeds are against the Lord to find his glorious presence. Uh, Whilst Judah was prospering economically under Uzziah, morally they were dirty. Uh, The leaders of the day were more rebellious than religious. Uh, You had to double lock your house for for fear of thieves. The fatherless, the widow, the poor were trodden on. And to cap it off, hear God's evaluation of their weekly gathering. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. The faithful city, says Isaiah, has become a prostitute. Isaiah's cleaned up, but what about Judah's lips? Will they ever be clean? And it's with this question in mind that we're set up for what Isaiah hears from the king. Verses 8 to 13, Isaiah hears the king. Look at verse 8 with me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. After being cleaned up by God, Isaiah is willing to speak for his king. He's able to speak for the king. His lips have been cleaned. Here am I, send me. But you've got to feel for the guy. Look, look at what he's going to have to say. Verse 9. God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull. Close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Your message will be heard, but not understood. Your preaching will shut eyes and block ears. God's people will not understand. They will not perceive. Some of you might walk away from this morning not understanding and not perceiving. Uh, That will be my fault, but not in Isaiah's day. No matter how hard they hear, they will not understand. No matter how hard they look, they will not perceive that the Lord, the holy, holy, holy God is in their midst. He's right there over in the temple. The one true God, high and lifted up, is present with them. But Isaiah's preaching will make sure they don't see it. They don't understand it. Why not? End of verse 10. It's so that they don't turn. It's so that they're not healed. God does not want Judah to turn and be healed. For now, Isaiah's preaching is going to blind God's people to the reality that he is in their midst. There'll be no understanding, no perceiving, so they don't turn and are not healed. Will their lips ever be clean? Isaiah cries out, verse 11, For how long, Lord, how long will I have to deafen and blind God's people? God says, verse 11, Until cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, And the fields ruined and ravaged until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. 
but as a terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. Now sit with me here for a bit of 8th century BC history. This all happened during Isaiah's 50-year preaching ministry, uh, three decades after the events of Isaiah chapter 6, which we're reading about. The biggest army the world had ever seen, the Assyrian juggernaut, would come and steamroll God's people in the north, removing God's people far away. But those in the south, in Judah, they were safe for now. You could say a tenth was left. And if Judah, those in the south, wanted atonement, if they wanted to get clean, like Isaiah, God was going to have to turn against them, to smelt away their dross and remove their impurities, because their unclean lips... Their speech, their deeds defied him and they needed to be burned away by the fiery judgment of God. And two decades after the north was laid waste, that's exactly what happened in the south. Uh, Judah would be again laid waste by that same Assyrian army that was taking over the whole known world. Uh, But just as you chop a tree down and a stump remains, the Assyrians would wipe out all of Judah in the south, but the capital city, Jerusalem, was miraculously saved, a stump. But Judah did have to die. Isaiah's message for Judah, for God's people in the south, is not life instead of death. It's life after death. Judah has to die before she can live because unclean lips demand death. Speech and deeds that defy God's glorious holiness must be punished. Something Someone needs to die. We saw that in the temple, Isaiah's lips had to be dragged to the altar. They had to die for him to become clean. Will Judah's lips ever be clean? Only after a death. But just like it did for Isaiah, that death will bring atonement. Isaiah's gospel is not life instead of death. It's life after death. Isaiah's lips were dragged over the altar and, at least symbolically, died. Judah's fate was no different. She had to die. But there's still a massive problem because hot coals and powerful armies don't really deal with sin, with our uncleanliness. There has to be something that stands behind these realities, something that makes sense of these symbols. How can atonement really be made? How can Isaiah... How can Judah, how can we really be clean? Clean before the holy, holy, holy God. Uh, And it's here we get to the heart of Isaiah's gospel. Uh, Isaiah, Judah, us, we're unclean, we're stained with sin. Uh, If we want to be clean, atonement has to be made. Something, someone has to die. Isaiah's gospel, our gospel is that it doesn't have to be us. Later in Isaiah, we read of one who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, who took up our pain and bore our suffering. Jesus dies so that we can live. By his wounds, we are healed. Our life through his death. Uh, Do we want to be clean in 2024? Uh, Let us hear Isaiah's word of salvation and accept it. Resolve to spend the year looking to Jesus, the one who dies for us, so that those of us who trust in him can live. Let's pray.